we're going to pick up where Eric left off a few weeks ago. Uh, and again, uh, you know, we're alternating between uh, the book of John, the book of Isaiah. Uh, he was in Isaiah last week, and so we find ourselves back in John this week. Um, so I'm going to try to pick up from there and uh, continue on. So this week we're going to be in John chapter 5. Uh, so you can go ahead and make your way there uh, this morning. Um, and just kind of let you know a little bit of about how this is going to kind of be laid out. Um, we're going to kind of look through these uh, scriptures, but we're going to kind of take them one by one. We're not going to read the whole thing just yet. Uh, we'll just kind of to go verse by verse here and uh, hopefully dive into them a little bit, kind of see what's going on. Um, but just kind of give you an overall summary. You know, we're going to look at uh, a healing that has took place and kind of look at the circumstances surrounding that. Um, and then look at, at what Jesus, uh, who Jesus claims to be um, after that healing. So that's kind of what this morning is going to be about. Um, but chapter 5, verse 1, it starts off and it says, after this. And so I kind of want to stop there and, and say, well, after what? Um, so we could actually go all the way back uh, if we wanted to, um, back to chapter 2, where Jesus kind of started his ministry. And so, and so just to kind of give you a quick summary of of where we've got to, kind of how we've got to this point. Um, in chapter 2, uh, we read about uh, the wedding in Cana in Galilee where Jesus turned the water into wine. We saw that, uh, that miracle there. Um, but also in chapter 2, Jesus goes and he cleanses the temple. And if you guys remember that, um, when he went to the temple, they were, they were selling all kinds of animals and, and all this stuff for people to come and worship. And it really made him mad. Um, because he says, you know, you've turned this into a, a den of robbers. This is terrible. This is not what the temple's built for. And so he goes in and starts throwing stuff around. He gets angry about it. Um, and so you can kind of imagine uh, the reaction that he might have got from some of the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders at that time. Um, he, he really didn't start his ministry off on the best foot with those guys uh, because they were probably a little upset at that point. Um, but that happened way back in chapter 2. Um, chapter 3, we know that Nicodemus... Uh, he comes and he talks to Jesus, and he's, he's trying to figure out exactly who Jesus is, um, trying to figure out what exactly are you doing. Um, and we remember Nicodemus at this time, he says uh, in verse 2, he says, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so when Nicodemus comes and he talks to Jesus, he acknowledges who Jesus is. He's like, we know you've been sent from God. You're not just some guy out here on the street doing something, we know that you've kind of been anointed uh, because nobody can do these things unless, unless God's seen him. And so Nicodemus did kind of admit that. Um, so there was some curiosity there. There was some curiosity about, you know, who are you? Like, are, are you on our side? Or, are, are you with us? Or we know you've come from God, so what exactly are you doing? Um, and we remember, you know, Jesus explained uh, to Nicodemus that he had to be born again, and he was trying to tell him, uh, that, you know, there's something more going on than what you guys realize. Like, like you've, you've taken temple worship and you've turned it into uh, some, some steps that you have to accomplish. And I'm talking about something deeper here. We're talking about spiritual things. Um, and Nicodemus, he really couldn't wrap his mind around that. He, he didn't understand that. Um, but that was back in chapter 3. Chapter 4, uh, Jesus and the disciples going to Samaria, talked to the Samaritan woman. Uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, and how because of, of his interaction with her, he kind of discloses who he is. She goes back and tells the people in the town. They all come out. 
they hear Jesus, they ask him to stay for a couple days, he does. Um, then he leaves, and uh, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, he heals an official son. The guy comes to him and says, hey, my son is dying, can you come heal him? And Jesus basically just said, he's going to be fine, and he was. Um, so that kind of takes us up to where we are now. Um, that's kind of what we've, we've got from John anyway, as far as Jesus' ministry goes. Um, so now after this, John tells us, after all this stuff kind of happened, let me tell you what happens next. Um, he says there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. What feast was it? Um, John doesn't tell us. And so in, in doing a lot of reading the things on this feast, um, there's really a lot of opinions out there what feast it was. Um, there were three feasts that, that men were required to go to Jerusalem for. Uh, one, of course, being the Passover. Um, the other two was uh, Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles. And so there, there were these requirements that they had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So it could have been any of those three. Um, I don't know that it was it was Passover because we know that uh, back in chapter 2 they went to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover uh, because in uh, chapter 4 it said the Galileans welcomed him having seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast for they had gone also to that feast and he was there for the Passover. So that one kind of happened so it could have been one of these other two. We don't really know exactly which one it is but the point is John doesn't tell us. And so apparently whatever feast they're in Jerusalem for, that's not the point. Um, and, and sometimes we kind of get hung up on wanting to know all the great details of what feast was this. Well, it really doesn't matter is what it kind of boils down to. It doesn't matter which feast it was. The point is he was in Jerusalem for this feast. And something else we have to realize is since he was there, there was also a lot of people there. And so the time that he was in Jerusalem, the time that we're going to see this event happen, just realized that there was something going on that a lot of people were in Jerusalem for. So it wasn't like business as normal. Um, it was similar to the Passover where, man, there was, there was a lot of people there to celebrate. And so there were great crowds, and we'll kind of see that. But that's why there were great crowds is because they were celebrating um, this feast. But anyway, after this, there was the Feast of the Jews. They went to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, uh, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And so as they go into Jerusalem, uh, they go by these pools. And I've got a couple of uh, pictures I want to pull up for you. Um, there we go. This is kind of a map of Jerusalem. The red um, kind of cut some of it off, but the red at the time was what Jerusalem was when Jesus was there. And so you can kind of see up on this top right, there's a thing called the Sheep Pool, which is where this Pool of Bethesda was at. And so uh, you can see the temple, and just right outside the temple, there's two pools, one of them being um, this Pool of Bethesda. Next picture, this is uh, drone footage of the actual pool. Probably not. They didn't have drones back then. Um, <laughs> this is kind of what it would look like. Uh, so you can kind of see there's, it's kind of a five-sided thing. Um, but there's two deep pools in there, and one more picture, it'll kind of show you in relation to the temple. So you can see in the background, there's the temple, there's the pool. That kind of gives you a visual. Uh, this is where Jesus was. 
And this is how close to the temple he was. And so it's kind of important that we realize that when we kind of go through this story, that we know that he's just outside of the temple. And um, if we continue reading, it says, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And so in these pools underneath these, those five roofs, there were all kinds of sick. Um, and most of them weren't just sick like they didn't feel good sick. They were sick to the point where uh, they were lame, they were blind, they were crippled, they had trouble getting around, um, and they filled this place because they were there hoping to be healed. Um, and we'll, we'll ultimately see that. Um, but that's why Jesus went by there. He went by there because there were all these sick. And there were all these, um, they were very, very sick uh, people, actually. Uh, one interesting thing about uh, these pools called Bethesda, the, the word Bethesda it also means a house of outpouring or a house of mercy. And so that's kind of what they named these pools, and, and that's why they named them that, is because they were known as healing pools. Um, so this is kind of like God's mercy or God's outpouring. So people come here um, to get healed. And then, real interesting, um, at least I think so, and probably... If you guys are going to remember anything that I even talk about today, I guarantee this is probably the one thing you're going to remember because it's probably the least important of it all, but it's also kind of interesting. Um, and I know we use a lot of Bible translations here. I'm reading from the ESV today. Um, just by show of hands, who I was reading the ESV? All right, and what else we got? Probably New American Standard, uh, King James, New King James. We probably got some of those. Maybe NIVs, I don't know. Um, if you got the ESV, though, does somebody want to read verse 4? Yeah. I, I, I was asking Jeannie about it uh, the other day, and I was like, you know, verse 4 is pretty interesting. She, was, she looked, and she was like, wait, where is it? Um, if you have the ESV, you don't have a verse 4. And so that's probably why you're going to remember it, because that's really weird. Um, what's happened here in our text is, uh, in some of the, the later, or the early, later manuscripts, yeah, Sherry's missing verse 4. You're not alone. <laughs> um, in some of the later manuscripts, there was, there was a, a note made. Um, some people think it was actually maybe written in the margins by some of the scribes. But there was, there was a notation made there that when they found earlier manuscripts, it wasn't there. And so the ESV has totally excluded it from your Bible because the early, more reliable manuscripts didn't have it, so therefore it wasn't in the original. Um, but the King James Version has it, and it has it there kind of as uh, you don't even know that it was ever missing kind of thing. Um, if you have like a, a New American Standard, it'll be in brackets. And usually in, in New American Standard, if you have something in brackets, it means it wasn't in the early manuscripts, but it was found later. And so they'll kind of include it to tell you what that is. Um, but actually what we're missing in the ESV, we're missing the last half of verse 3, and we're missing all of verse 4. Because what well, really didn't exist, but somebody had made a note, and it kind of made its way into uh, some of the, the early Bibles. And so what it says, um, if we read it starting in verse 3... If I can find verse 3 again, it says, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, 
waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. And so we have that notation made in our, uh, some of our, our Bibles. Some of our Bibles don't. Um, and they think that the reason why the scribes may have added that is because it was, it was kind of a common knowledge at the time or belief that this is what was happening at this pool. And so at certain times, the water in this pool would stir up and whoever was in first got healed. That was kind of the way it worked. And, we, and we'll see later um, when Jesus is talking to this man um, down in verse uh, 7, he says, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. When I'm going in, somebody steps in before me. And so that's what this is referring to uh, because this man kind of addresses with Jesus why he's not been healed. Um, and so we kind of have this explanation of this is what they thought was happening at the time. Now, you know, whether that was true or not, I don't know. You know, did an angel come stir the waters and somebody was healed? We really don't know that. Um, not to say God couldn't do that. I mean, God could have possibly done that. A lot of people think that maybe these pools were spring-fed, and so there were certain times where the spring would kind of surge and it would stir up the water. And they also believe that the water had maybe some kind of mineral in it, so it had like a reddish color to it, which I know uh, even in the United States, you know, back a few hundred years ago, it was a big deal to go to some kind of mineral spring. A lot of people went to those for healing, um, sulfur springs or whatever they may have been, uh, because they thought there were healing properties. And so we kind of got that here in Bethesda. Um, there's something going on at these pools that people think that they can be healed. Whether they actually were or not, I don't know. Um, but that's why they were there. They were there because something was going on in the water, and they thought, hey, if I go there and I'm the first one in, I can get healed. And so, man, if you were, if you were lame or blind or something, you would hope that somebody would take you to the pool when the water stirred up because that was an angel of the Lord, and he was going to heal you from that. And so that was this guy's mindset. This guy's mindset was, if I could ever be the first one in, I'll be healed. And so kind of keep that in mind as we, uh, as we go through this story. That's why he was there, and that was his hope. His hope was totally in being the first guy in the pool. Um, so we can continue in verse 5, because verse 5 is there. Okay, you guys have verse 5. <clears throat> um, it says, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, interesting here, um, a couple of things. One, this guy had been there for 38 years. Now, that's a long time. Um, I don't know how old some of you are, but probably like half of you guys in this room hadn't even been alive 38 years. So that was like before you were even born. For me, I would have been like, that's since I was 10 years old. So I would have been like fourth or fifth grade. I don't even know what I was doing in the fourth or fifth grade. I mean, I can't even remember that far back. That was forever ago. And that's how long this guy's been at this pool. Like he comes there all the time hoping to be healed for 38 years. This guy's been sick, hoping to be healed. And I'm like, man, that... I mean, that's a long, long time. You know, this guy, it makes you wonder, like, has he lost hope yet? I mean, he's still going, but he's been going for 38 years. And Jesus walks up, and he asks him the most obvious question he probably could have asked this man 
who's been at this pool for 38 years, hoping to be healed, he walks up and says, you want to be healed? I mean, what do you think the guy, I mean, if, it, if I was the guy, I mean, I know what kind of answer I'd have been, and he probably would have smacked me down or something because I'd have been like, you know, why do you think I'm here? Um, <coughs> but this is what Jesus asked him. So why did Jesus ask him, are you wanting to be healed? Um, is it because he didn't know? Well, we know, obviously, he did know. He did know the guy wanted to be healed. Um, I think the reason he asked him if he wanted to be healed was because he was trying to reveal something about himself. That you've been here for 38 years hoping to get in this pool, but if you want to be healed, I'm offering something to you. And now I don't know if this guy thought maybe um, Jesus was going to pick him up and like take him to the pool so he could be the first one in finally. You know, I don't really know what this guy thought, but obviously this guy didn't think Jesus was going to heal him. Or he didn't think he had the capability to heal him. So Jesus comes and he asks him, do you want to be healed? And, and so we see the guy's response, and we, we've talked about that just a little while ago. It says, a sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the waters are stirred, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. And so we see his thought. And again, this is the belief of the time, that the waters are being stirred by an angel, and the first one in gets healed. And so that's this man's entire hope, is that someday I'm going to be the first. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he's like, yeah, but I've never been the first one. And every time I try, somebody else gets in front of me. And so I'm never going to be healed. It's kind of the guy's attitude. Um, still not comprehending what Jesus is offering. Um, he replies with what he's already believed to be truth. Um, he, he doesn't realize who Jesus is. He doesn't even know that Jesus has the ability to heal um, and here we've just read uh, the chapter before about an official who approached Jesus saying, my son's dying, come heal him. Um, he knew, but this man had been sick his whole life. He didn't even know. Um, he had no idea who Jesus was or even what he was capable of. And so Jesus offers healing, and he gives his answer. And again, this is what he believes. He believes he needs to be put in first. But Jesus, he didn't, he didn't offer to take him to the pool. He just said, get up, take your bed, and walk. And it says, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And this is, this is what's miraculous. Um, one is that when Jesus speaks to heal somebody, they're healed. Um, you know, I remember watching some of the, the Jesus movies you used to see on TV or whatever, especially like around Easter, they always showed them. <coughs> and you guys have seen them. And there's a lame guy, and Jesus heals him. And he's like, it takes him like five minutes to stand up. And his, his legs are shaky, and he's, he's stumbling around everywhere. And I'm like, you know, every time I read it, Jesus heals somebody in the Bible, it's instant. Like it... He, he told him to get up and walk, and he said at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And so, you know, I'm not thinking like it's this long, drawn-out, like, oh, I'm trying to figure out how to stand on my feet because I haven't been on for 38 years kind of thing. Um, man, when Jesus healed somebody, I mean, he healed them. Like this guy, he stood up and picked up his mat, and, and he was gone. I mean, he was completely and totally healed. 
That's what we read in the Bible. Um, we don't read that it was a slow process, but it says it once. It is immediate. Um, but that's who Jesus is. Now, here's the real interesting thing. Um, we talked about this pool, and, we and you saw pictures of it. It's pretty large. Um, if you take the two pools, I mean, that's, there's a lot of people that could fit under those roofs. And we know that there were a lot of people that went there because a lot of people were hoping to be healed. Um, and even this guy, you know, part of his problem was, man, there's so many people here that as soon as the waters are stirred, somebody's always first, and it's never been me. Um, so we know there was a lot of people that were there to be healed. Um, but how many people did Jesus heal? Healed one guy. Out of all of those, healed one. And I thought, you know, that's kind of interesting. Um, because sometimes when he goes to a town, he, like, heals everybody. You know, <coughs> whoa. Um, that was loud. Uh, you know, people, I mean, he's, he's healing so much that like people are bringing people to him. And he's just healing and healing and healing. And here he goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the pools that are known for healing. And he, he, he finds one guy and he heals him. And I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, why would Jesus do that? Like, why didn't he just go in and heal everybody? You know, that's what they were all there for, but he didn't. And, you know, it kind of it kind of took my mind back um, to Romans 9, which, you know, is the controversial chapter of the Bible. Um, we've talked about it before, you know, when God talks about um, picking Jacob over Esau. And it says that um, in Romans 9, 14 and 16, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And so he chose to have mercy on one guy. And, you know, sometimes when we read stuff like this, we're like, well, that wasn't very compassionate at all. Like there were probably hundreds that were there sick that may have been there almost as long as this guy hoping someday to be healed, hoping someday to be the first one in the water and Jesus healed one. Um, and sometimes we have a problem with that. But who deserved to be healed? I mean, how many of those people at the pool even deserved it? Well, none of them deserved it. And sometimes when God pours out his mercy on one, we say, well, it's not fair that he didn't pour it out on everybody. But everybody, I mean, nobody deserves his mercy. And so when he pours out mercy just on one person, man, that's compassion. Um, that's something we should celebrate. And sometimes we take that and we turn that against God. Like, it's almost better if he didn't heal any of them because then we wouldn't be mad at God about it. Um, you know what I mean? Because sometimes we do that in our life. You know, especially if you're going through something, you see somebody else who maybe has come through it. Or maybe they've had the same disease you've had and they've, they've recovered and been healed from it and you haven't. Um, you're like, well, God, this is not fair. But we have to remember who God is. And God is sovereign. And, and it's his right to pour out his mercy and compassion on whoever he chooses. And here he chose one guy, one guy out of all of them, that I'm going to heal this guy. And there's a reason he's going to heal that guy. There's a reason he didn't heal all the others. You know, I don't know exactly what that reason was, but he's God, and he's got that right. And sometimes we have to remember that, and that doesn't ever put him at fault. That doesn't ever make him bad. Um, but it makes us remember who's in control. It makes us remember who is all-powerful because God is the one who gets to choose on, this is who I'm going to pour my compassion out upon. And here we see the one guy that he picked. 
And so the man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked, which was miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. He'd been there for 38 years. But then verse 9 continues on and says, now that day was the Sabbath, which is almost like, uh-oh. Um, hey, let me tell you something great that happened, but let me tell you what day it was. Um, that's kind of the way this reads. So it's like, it's like we have this miraculous healing, but it was a Sabbath day. So guess what? There's going to be a problem. That's the way this is. That's what this is telling us. That's exactly the way John kind of wrote it. That's kind of the way I read it. It's like, oh, man, uh, why didn't you do that a day earlier, Jesus? That would Everything would have been fine. But no, he picked a Sabbath, and he picked a Sabbath for a very specific reason. And we're going to kind of see what that reason is. It says, now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? And so here's the interesting thing to me in this conversation. This man had been there for 38 years. Now, I'm pretty sure that sometime during their life, the, the priest knew who this guy was. I mean, as close as the pools were to the temple, surely to goodness, they actually stumbled upon this guy. Like, He's been here a long time. Um, I don't think he was a stranger. I think he was very well known. This guy is sick, and he's not getting any better. And he shows up in the temple carrying a mat, and they're like, Let's forget about the fact that you're now miraculously walking after 38 years. Why are you carrying that mat? I mean, how much sense does that make? Now, now the mat that this guy or the bed that, that they, they talked about this time is probably like a little straw mat is what it is. So it's not like, you know, if I'm carrying my bed, then that's a feat because like I've picked up my mattress and that sucker is heavy. You know, so if I'm carrying my bed around, that's, that's pretty strenuous. This guy's carrying around a little straw mat, okay? So it's not like he's hauling around, you know, a queen-size box spring and mattress or something. He, he's carrying a kindergarten mat. And the Jews are like, why are you carrying that? It's the Sabbath. You can't be carrying that thing. Now, it seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous. This was their focus. Their focus wasn't, why are you walking? Or even as the guy says, the man that healed me told me to pick it. It's like, well, they didn't even address the healing thing. All they're thinking about is, you're carrying a mat, and today's not the day to be carrying that mat. Um, and so this, is, this has caused a problem. And so now this guy is kind of caught in a crossfire. He's like, um, he was so excited about being healed, he didn't even think about breaking a law of the Sabbath. And so now he's been caught, um, and he's like, you know, what am I going to do? Um, but here's the crazy thing. When he, when he does this on the Sabbath, whose law is he breaking? Is he breaking God's law or is he breaking man's law? And we, we kind of see what's happened to God's law here. Um, because God, he did give him the command, you know, to keep the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Remember that day. And God gave it to man as a day of rest because, you know, you're working hard. You need a day off. Um, but what man turned it into is something that God never intended it to be. Because we know, you know, God created in six days and then on the seventh day he rested. But he didn't rest because he was tired. He was kind of giving us an example. Um, but when he set that up, he didn't set that up as in you can't do anything on the Sabbath. 
He's like, take a break from your, from your work, from your job. You know, don't go work in the field on this seventh day. Um, stay at home, rest, you know, do whatever. Uh, and, and so the, the Jews at the time, the leaders, they kind of took this and it was like, well, what is considered work? You know, it's kind of like, uh, what do you mean by is? It's like, what is work? And so let's define what work is. And so they started defining what work is. And, and it got into something that was absolutely ridiculous. Like, you can't even pick up a straw mat and carry it. Like, that's work. But to them, it was. And so they had kind of taken um, what God had, had issued, and they had turned it into something it was totally not meant to be. And it become not a day of rest, but it was really kind of a day of burden, especially if you were around the temple, because you know they were watching. Like, if they saw you doing something, you're going to get called out on it. And so, you know, everybody was, was having to kind of walk around on eggshells because um, they're going to break somebody's law and they're going to get called out. And that's exactly what's happened uh, to this man that, that's been healed. He wasn't breaking God's law, but he was breaking their law because their law says you can't do this. And so now he's been called out on that. Um, so we, we continue on. Verse 12, it says, they asked him, who is the man that said you take up your bed and walk? Verse 13 says, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And remember, this feast, this celebration. So when it says there's a crowd in the place, the temple is very crowded. Like, it's packed out. There's people all over the place. So when Jesus healed this guy, he just went on. The guy didn't bother to ask who he was. He didn't bother to tell him who he was. Um, so the guy's like, well, I don't know who he was. He just come and healed me and told me to carry my mat, so I did. Um, but then it says in verse 14, Afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you were well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And so, again, this whole story, man, it's showing Jesus is doing something. This is not a story about healing a man. This is a story about Jesus doing something greater than healing a man. Because he could have healed the man and disappeared and never come back. And the man would have still been healed. But here Jesus comes back to him because he knows this guy doesn't know who I am. And he's going to reveal himself to him on purpose. Because he knows this guy's going to go back to the Jews and say, I know who it was now. Um... And it's going to lead to a confrontation that, that Jesus is really aiming for in this whole situation. Um, but he tells him, he says, See your well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And again, we can really get caught up in, in Jesus' phrasing here because, um, you know, was the man sick because of sin? Or was he sick just because? And, you know, this seems to lead us to believe that, you know, because of a sin in his life, he was suffering punishment or, or not punishment, but a, a result of that, that, that God has stricken him sick. And, you know, we read when we do the Lord's Supper um, that when some people do it inappropriately, they have sick and some have died. You know, so we know that, that there can be um, a result of sin that leads to physical infliction. And, and sometimes there's physical infliction that's not because of directly because of a sin. Um, it's just fallen nature of man. 
But, but Jesus comes to him, he's like, okay, I've healed you, now go and sin no more so that nothing worse is going to happen. So he's kind of addressed um, this guy's sinfulness. Um, and again, just showing him that it's more than just, you know, just a healing or just an affliction. Um, but the man in verse uh, 15, it says, the man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And so like this guy who had been sick for 38 years, Jesus comes and heals him. He doesn't know who Jesus is. Jesus comes and finds him, tells him who he is, gives him this warning. The guy still don't care who Jesus is. He runs back to the Jews. He's like, hey, don't, go, don't be mad at me because I know who it is now. It was Jesus. He's the guy that healed me and told me to pick up this mat. Um, and so guess who they're going to be mad at now? Well, you can't be telling people to carry a mat on the Sabbath because that's against the rules. Um, so it says he went back and he told them. And then in verse 16, it says, this is why the Jews were, pers- or were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And so, again, that's the whole reason Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath. It was to show the Jews, or, or leaders at that time, and the things you guys are doing, this is not in line with what God wants at all. This is not, this is not in line with God's command. This is not in line um, with what he's passed down. You guys have taken his law and turned it into something completely wrong. And that's why I healed a guy today. It's because I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to show you um, that you can do these things, that, that you, you guys are completely off base. That's the whole reason Jesus picked the Sabbath to heal him on. But it, again, that's the reason it says they were persecuting him. Um, the verse 17 it says Jesus answered them my father is working into now and I'm working and I thought well that's kind of a weird answer like I thought he would have come up with something else um, so why, why did Jesus say that like that was kind of weird um, but here's what Jesus was talking about you know the, the Jews they had a law that you can't work on the Sabbath but Jesus says God's working on the Sabbath. And they knew kind of what he was talking about. Like, like, you know, God took a break from creation, but creation didn't take a break from existing. You know, there was still, I mean, things are happening. The sun comes up on the Sabbath just like it does every day. You know, God is keeping things in motion. Um, we breathe air on the Sabbath just like we breathe air any other day. And so he was telling, he was telling them, look, God is still at work. God's still doing things. His will is still being accomplished, whether it's the Sabbath or not. God is still at work. And because God's at work, I'm at work. And we see that this causes a really, really big problem because in verse 18, it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Now they've gone from being mad at Jesus to they're ready to kill him. And it says because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which was bad enough, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so what we're going to see as we go through the book of John is we're going to see kind of a turn here. Like leading up to this, you know, Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus and he's like, I'm trying to figure out who you are. Like, we know you've come from God, so who exactly are you? Now we see that, okay, they've realized that Jesus has claimed to be on an equal footing with God. He's, he's claimed to be God. He says, he says, my father's working and so am I. And they take that as 
you're claiming to be equal with God. And so now, like they've turned kind of from curiosity on who Jesus is to I'm just ready to kill this guy. Like he is completely blasphemed everything that we know to be sacred and they're ready to kill him. And so you're going to kind of see that as we go throughout John that, that now the attitude of the Jewish leaders of that time is just, it's pure hatred. It's hostility. It's, it's, they're ready to string a guy up. And, you know, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that because, like, even when people, you know, blaspheme God, like, it really upsets me, but I'm not ready to kill anybody over it. Like, I've never really thought, um, I'm going to shoot you for that. <laughs> And I don't know if you guys have ever thought that either, but it just really doesn't enter my mind that, that was, that's worthy of death. But for them, it did. And I thought, man, that's crazy. I, I can't understand that. But then I thought, well, you know, there are other world religions that think that way, that you don't agree with us, so we're going to kill you. And I think those people were crazy, so therefore, and these Jews were crazy too. Um, they, were, they were ready to kill him. Um, because of who he claimed to be and because of what he was doing. And so it's kind of an interesting story, but again, it kind of, it kind of changes the picture now as we go through John that, that we see that to the Jewish leaders, he's claimed to be God. He's claimed to be equal with God. He's breaking their Sabbath rules, showing that, man, the rules you guys have got, they're not God's rules, they're your rules. And so he's rebellion, or rebelling against who they are and, and what they're practicing. And he's, he's exposing the legalistic practices that they have. And he's showing them that you guys are doing this, trying to earn God's favor, and it's not about your performance. You're, you're looking at it all wrong. You're, you're approaching this all wrong. He tried to teach Nicodemus that when he, when he talked to him about being born again, and Nicodemus couldn't understand it. And, and, and they're not understanding what Jesus is trying to teach here. But now they've got to the point where I don't even like what you're teaching. I'm ready to kill you. Like, you need to be gone because... You're going completely against all this. And so, you know, when I was kind of reading through this and, and looking at it, um, you know, kind of the question that, that was in my mind is, why is this story here? Like, why did John include this? What, he, he's, got a, he's got a purpose. Like, there, there's a reason why. And, um, you know, my mind went to uh, John 20, 30 and 31. This is what Eric read when we very first started studying John is the purpose of this letter. Why did John write it? He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John included this story. It's because he's shown us who Jesus is. So we, we dare not take an account like this and turn it into a story about healing, turning into a story about, um, you know, if you, if you got faith or if you don't have faith, you know, God's going to heal. Uh, you know, don't break the say. It's not about that. It's about who Jesus is. That's what this whole story is about. And so we can't go away from this and try to make it something else. This is about Jesus. This is about him being the son of God, him being equal with God, him coming to redeem mankind from our legalism, from our slavery to sin, that's what he come for. And that's what this story is about. And so what can we take away from this? One, you know, we can take away um, our own unbelief because we saw the man that he healed. 
he didn't believe. He didn't recognize who Jesus was. Even after Jesus did something for him, he didn't believe. Like, he didn't even care who Jesus was. Um, and, and sometimes we're that way. Like, like, all we want is to get something from Jesus, and we really don't care about the person of Jesus. We just want what he's got to offer. And that's exactly the way this man was. Um, or, you know, maybe, maybe we can take our own dissatisfaction away from this. Uh, because once the guy was healed, um, he wasn't satisfied. He wasn't satisfied in Jesus. He didn't, again, he didn't, he didn't care. And sometimes the more we get from God, the less we think we need him, the, the less we even uh, care about our relationship with him, care about um, who he is. It's just we're after, we're after what he has to offer, and we're not after him. And so we can be like the man um, who is healed, and, and we can take from God and not, uh, not give ourselves to him or not even care who he is. Um, but the main point of this story, it is Jesus. It is Jesus is the Son of God. Here's why he's the Son of God. Um, you know, here's how he proved himself to be the Son of God. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He can do whatever he wants, you know, but he's not going to break his own law. And so Jesus healing on the Sabbath, he didn't break God's law. He broke man's law. That, that, that didn't matter. That was something they came up with. Um, but again, the whole purpose of this letter, the whole purpose of this book, it's, because of our faith in Christ. This is the only means of salvation. This is why John has given us this. It's so that we can know in only Christ, in faith in him, that's the only way to salvation. Why faith in Christ? It's because he was the son of God. He, he come down here. Um, it couldn't have been anybody else. Anybody else is sinful. Anybody else's sacrifice still wouldn't have met the requirements that God had. It had to come from Jesus. It had to come from someone who was sinless, who was born sinless and who remained sinless. He's the perfect sacrifice. That's why we even read any of these accounts um, in John. And so that's why we have this. And again, when we read these things, that has to be the reminder. The reminder is always, this is who Jesus is. It's not about us. It's not about what we get, but it's about him. And so we need to keep that in mind.